welcome back to another episode of the Sports Sentiment. I am your host, Nick Urias, and what is our first episode of the podcast in 2023 and our first episode in just about six weeks. Yes, we have been off the grid for quite some time and for reason, but we are back and better pumping out some more content. The sports starts to fuel up a little bit in terms of who's real, who's not in terms of NBA basketball teams are concerned. So even though the NFL season, as well as the college football season, is starting to wind down, there is still a lot to talk about. As far as myself, where have I been the past couple, the past six weeks? Well, I've had the pleasure and great opportunities at San Jose State University, where I attend college, to do a lot of play-by-play broadcasting for the San Jose State Spartans, whether that be the men's or women's basketball games, even had the opportunity to even attend the famous Idaho Potato Bowl where the San Jose State Spartans took on the Eastern Michigan Eagles. Extremely honored to be invited by some of my colleagues at KSJS, where we, at KSJS, which is the San Jose State student-ran radio station, which is located on campus, but myself, along with along with others, got the opportunity to go to Boise, Idaho, on the Smurf turf, on the very aesthetically looking blue turf in Boise, and got to broadcast the bowl game. I had the I had the honors to do the pregame, halftime, and postgame show for the San Jose State and Eastern Michigan famous Idaho Potato Bowl matchup. It was just really a surreal moment, especially since I was I was I've been calling football games and really just covering sports now for just two months. So to get that kind of opportunity was just really meant a lot, especially since I just started getting into the broadcasting business, if you will, and really started to understand the preparation and what it's like to actually be on air. So just overall a great opportunity. And, you know, in between all that and going out to Boise, Idaho, we've just been doing a lot of basketball games on 90.5 KSJS with the San Jose State Spartans. We're having a great season to start out. So the basketball games for San Jose State have been really entertaining and, you know, just been overall a great experience to call. So that's where I've been the past six weeks. So And that's why there really hasn't been an episode for the past six weeks just because I've had my hands full with doing a bunch of work for KSJS and the duties of being a broadcaster for the radio station. But with all that being stated, as I briefly mentioned earlier, things are really starting to heat up in terms of the NFL regular season, the college football season, the national championship is in the next couple days. So we're going to talk about, first and foremost, the NFL Week 17. Just touch on a couple games. We're going to also talk about the college football playoff semifinals as during New Year's Eve, those games really took center stage between Michigan and TCU and Georgia and Ohio State. So we'll get into all that. But of course, before we talk about any sports games and any sports content. We are recording this on January the 5th and a couple days ago 
very unfortunate events transpired on Monday Night Football with Damar Hamlin, Bill Buffalo Bill safety. I mean, I've never seen just it wasn't even an injury, just something so life threatening in sports live during a game. I mean, the fact that just to see both sides, both players, all the players from the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills just crap just circle around Damar Hamlin and what was pretty much him in cardiac arrest on the football field. I mean, kudos to the Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals training staffs for pretty much saving his life. I mean, it's like I said, it's I've never seen anything like it live during a game, especially with the magnitude of the game. I mean, the Bengals and Bills were pretty much playing for home field advantage in the playoffs on a primetime game. You know, we've seen similar stuff, very unfortunate events with Keontae Johnson, the Florida Gators basketball player, a couple of years ago, which happened before the game. So thankfully, it wasn't on air, but still very traumatic events. And of course, Christian Erickson, Denmark soccer player, he pretty much went through the nearly the exact same thing that DeMar Hamlin went through. But, you know, just very emotional. And it's, forget about, you know, when something something like that happens to a player like DeMar Hamlin, who's only 24 years old, it's his second year in the league. Former Pittsburgh Panther was a six-round draft pick, so it's not like he was getting tremendous hype out of the draft. Even though he was only a backup and was, you know, his time was called to play during that game, who was actually getting a lot of run late this late in the season because Micah Hyde for the Buffalo Bills is out for the year, who's also a safety. So he's had DeMar Hamlin has had to take the responsibilities and duties for Micah Hyde, who is a very talented player for the Buffalo Bills and a team that's contending. But it it was just something that it was just the the whole DeMar Hamlin tragedy was just is bigger than sports. You know, when something like that happens, who gives a crap about fantasy football leagues and point spreads or whatever you do with football as entertainment? All that mattered was Damar Hamlin about his life and as well as both of the Bills players and Bengals players for that matter, just being in the proper mental state. And I I think we all knew immediately after that game or after he was on the field for 10 plus minutes, that that game was not going to be played. And you really got to do credit, both of the coaches, Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor. DeMar Hamlin is priority number one over this high leverage football game. And I, I don't think I've ever seen players as emotional as the Bills players between Josh Allen, Tredavious White, Dane Jackson. It was just really one of the most scariest scenes that you will ever see in sports and on national television. So just to see that and, you know, just all the all the news coverage that's been going on and throughout the week and all the updates that have been going on since Monday night, you know, the week just hasn't, you know, felt right and sports overall hasn't felt right since Monday night because, you know, DeMar Hamlin has just been priority number one over every single sports team over and every single event that is going on in the world of sports, but as we are recording this on Thursday night, the good news is is that he's making improvements and just the amount of support that he's gotten around the league, whether it's with his GoFundMe page 
with his toy drive that he started up a couple years ago when he was just a rookie. And even around the NFL, you know, personally as a 49er fan and all the, I know Levi Stadium has a bunch of stuff honoring him around the perimeter of the stadium and a bunch of teams have, you know, taken action in supporting him. So kudos to everybody, all the sports teams around the league, all the coaches, all the players for, you know, just giving him overwhelming support while he's trying to recover. And hopefully he does play football again because for someone being in his second year in the league and at 24 years old in a six-round draft pick, as we mentioned, he's still got a lot more left to prove. And he's a very young player. It's not like he's on his way out and retiring in the National Football League. So just very, just a very sad thing to see. And hopefully just from, you know, just an overall as a, as a person and that DeMar Hamlin could be the same person. And even if he doesn't play football ever again, hopefully he could continue to live his life as he's still very young and still has, you know, a lot of life left in him. So our prayers go out to DeMar Hamlin, hoping for a smooth recovery. And hopefully he can get back on the football field once again after he makes a full recovery. All right, so let's transition into the NFL Week 17 slate and let's address one of the more crazier games of the weekend and that was the San Francisco 49ers versus the Las Vegas Raiders in which the 49ers won 37 to 34 in a game where you know two teams heading in the opposite direction obviously the 49ers riding that insanely hot winning streak eight game win streak heading into this one whereas the Las Vegas Raiders have been kind of a you know a train wreck to say the least this season as they fell to a 6 and 10 record after losing in overtime in this game and this was a game where you know the Vegas Raiders just you know they just came with house money as Derek Carr was benched heading into this game Jarrett Stidham got his first career NFL star of course former New England Patriot quarterback and got a got a little bit of a run as a backup coming in at garbage time in some games really didn't impress too much so this was really the Jared Stidham show to really see what he's got as it was really a surprising and bold move by at least for me by Josh McDaniels Las Vegas Raiders head coach but as far as the game as itself goes 49ers won 37 to 34 and you know the 49ers offense came to play obviously as it has with Brock Purdy since this winning streak but this defense which has been dominant all year number one defense overall in pretty much every statistical defensive category you can think of the Niners have been on the top of the totem pole but I think this was a good wake-up call for the 49ers I personally as a Niner fan did not like the way that defensively they played this game I mean they were getting dominated on the line of scrimmage at least when the Vegas Raiders had the ball in which Josh Jacobs and all the backup running backs behind him just had massive holes they were it was really frustrating because they were on first and 10 they were getting six or seven yards on first down and it just seemed way too easy for the Raiders they would just go up and down the field and score part of that was Jared Stidham doing damage on his leg so you know anytime you get a a dual threat quarterback going on his legs early in the game. Obviously, it's going to open everything else up. But, you know, if the 49er defense is going to have a clunker of performance, I'd rather have it be this game. And, you know, the Vegas Raider fans and the a large 
amount of 49er fans that traveled to this game, at least they got their money worth their money's worth because this was a game that was a hot ticket in terms of the dollar amount. But Christian McCaffrey ran all over the Raider defense, 121 yards on the ground. Brandon Ayuk had himself a game. He was a big go-to target in that fourth quarter for the 49ers. They just simply couldn't guard Brandon Ayuk in the fourth quarter. He was just beating Robert Teamer or Nate Hobbs, whoever was on him. He was just gaining separation. Obviously, Ayuk, a very underrated route runner. You know, often doesn't get talked about how much separation he gets between defensive backs. So it was good to see Ayuk have one of these, you know, good games for the 49ers as as it has been George Kittle the past couple weeks. But, you know, something that's not going to, it's not going to show too much glitz or glamour on the stat sheet. To me, this was one of the best games that the 49ers played in the trenches with their offensive line. You know, their offensive line was a little bit questionable coming into the year, but they played really great. I mean, Aaron Banks, second year left guard out of Notre Dame. I mean, he's been one of the best left guards in the league and just guards as a whole at his position. He's had himself one heck of a year that no one's been talking about, only allowing like one or two sacks this year. And right guard Spencer Burford has, uh, as a a fourth round draft pick, I believe, out of UTSA, has really, as a rookie, stepped in well into this 49ers offense, which is a very complicated offense with all the run blocking schemes and outside zone that the that the 49ers run with that comes along with that Shanahan run heavy offense. So I think they stepped up really well. Mike McGlinchey had himself one of his, the best games of his career, in my opinion. I mean, he contained Max Crosby really well. You notice you didn't hear Max Crosby's name all too much in that matchup against the 49ers. So Mike McGlinchey, you know, who's he's one of the best run blocking tackles in the league. And the Niners really like him for that. But his pass blocking has always been problematic. And you notice that he gets a lot of holding calls for the 49ers. And as a Niner fan, that's really frustrated me in terms of, you know, Mike McGlinchey just getting beat off the edge by a lot of opposing pass rushers. So kudos to Mike McGlinchey for having himself a game. But I want to get into just the Vegas Raiders overall and everything that has transpired with Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr's done in Las Vegas. And it's very unfortunate because I've always been a, a, a big Derek Carr guy and supporter. I mean, in his last game with the Oakland Raiders, you know, just all the Raider fans just booing him. And, you know, out of every, he's always had tremendous respect for the Raiders. He's all, he always said, oh, I don't want to play for another team ever in my career. You know, the, he's shown so much respect for the, you know, just the Raiders and the fans and just the organization as a whole. It seems like ever since Josh McDaniels has came in, you know, he just hasn't been right this year. And, you know, he hasn't gotten that respect back, at least as this year is concerned. And it seems like Mark Davis is all in on Josh McDaniels as the head coach because the fact that, you know, if you're blowing 20-point leads, I don't think it's on the quarterback. I think it's it's got a lot to do with the head coach, yet Mark Davis thinks he's doing a great job. So, you know what? It is what it is. You know, the Raiders normally never do anything right in terms of upstairs and running their organization properly with whether it comes with the GM and the failure of draft picks that they've had over the last half decade. And, you know, between all the John Gruden drama and 
Now you got McDaniels thinking he's running the show when he's really never shown any signs of good leadership skills in terms of running an organization. I mean, this is a guy at the Denver Broncos that was literally spying on the opposing team and literally farming victories because of it. And once when they caught him, he lost every game afterwards. So, I I mean, I'm just mind boggled by the whole situation and what the Raiders are doing. And I really hope that Derek Carr does get traded and goes and lights it up for the new team that he's on. I think the New York Jets and the Indianapolis Colts are going to be right there in terms of trading and be interested in some potential Derek Carr as QB1 for representing their team. And I hope Derek Carr does leave the Raiders just so he can go go ahead and, you know, light it up for one of these teams that are just really, a, if you think about it, potentially a quarterback away. At, I think the New York Jets are a lot more closer than the Indianapolis Colts in terms of that, but... It's going to be very, very interesting to see how that pans out. And how about this? How what if Derek if Derek Carr departs? Don't we think Devontae Adams is going to head out too, since he, you know, only came to Vegas just to play with his former college teammate and left a tremendously good situation in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, you know, one of the best quarterback wide receiver connections and tandems in the National Football League. So I'm really interested to see if the Raiders do indeed move on from Derek Carr. What does this mean for Devontae Adams? And just one more thing in terms of just the Raiders and the Niners. I mean, as a Niner fan coming into this, you know, even the Ra- even though the Raiders are not in Oakland anymore and it's not really that Battle of the Bay rivalry anymore, this matchup still has massive significance to 49er fan and Raider fan for that example, it's just another moral victory. It doesn't matter how good or bad the teams are. You know, the last time these two teams played, the Oakland Raiders, they were but they were still the Oakland Raiders before they moved to Vegas. And even Nick Mullins beating a Derek Carr-led team in the Oakland Raiders, it just felt so good. It's just it's almost like it's almost bigger than a regular season win because the rivalry just means that much in the Bay Area. And anytime the 49er fans that, yeah, we're better than you, we won, and not only are we better than you on the football field, we can also, we also, from a business standpoint, run our organization so much better. So on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, we had the opportunity to watch some high-level college football matchups along with some crucial NFL matchups as well that it swing the, in, the entirety of the playoff picture, but... While all that was going on, I couldn't help myself but thinking between college and NFL, how tough the weekend must have been for the Harbaugh family. And as in Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh, that is. Jim Harbaugh, his Michigan Wolverines, lost in a 51-45 to shootout. And John Harbaugh, Baltimore Ravens head coach, led the Pittsburgh Steelers in the fourth quarter by 10 points. And once again, blew the lead and let it go and ultimately lost the game. So a tough weekend for the Harbaugh brothers. And let's start off with Jim Harbaugh just to go into both of their games and, you know, just how they both transpired more in depth. The Michigan Wolverines played in the college football playoff semifinal between the TCU Horned Frogs. And the TCU Horned Frogs have just, they've just, they've had the pixie dust. They've been just riding this magic carpet in which TCU 
in all these late game heroics, they just find a way to win and somehow stay alive and somehow get it done and end up on the right side of, of a victory. And, you know, at least in the college football world, a lot of people have said that TCU, TCU's resume, and they're not one of the top four teams in the country because they win all these ridiculously close games and it's going to eventually catch up to them. But, I mean, this is just a team that is just deemed with destiny right now. And because it's how they're winning all these crazy close games, whether it's within the Big 12 or against the Michigan Wolverines in which they won in an absolute shootout, Wild West style, 51 to 45. And everybody says that they're lucky because, because they play in the Big 12 and they're always on the right side of all these one possession games. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're just proving everybody wrong. And I understand that Michigan didn't play their best game, but TCU ultimately doesn't give a crap that they're underdogs against the big dogs and these so-called powerhouses that such as Michigan or Georgia or whoever it may be, because, you know, this team is led by Sonny Dykes at head coach who's done a tremendous job for TCU this year, and Max Duggan, who he's just got that it factor for this team. He wasn't even the starter at the beginning of the year. This is a guy that's just, you know, he's came in, he's done his job, and he has taken over football games with his feet. He's made big-time plays down the stretch inside two minutes when they need a game-winning drive. He's provided it for the TCU Horn Frogs, and this is a TCU team that is clearly on a mission to prove all the haters wrong, and this is just, you know... This is a team for the 13th time this year that has shown that. And yeah, it it was a very disappointing loss for Jim Harbaugh and his mission, but they simply got outplayed. TCU's defense, both neither defenses were good as if it as it was a 51 to 45 final score. Neither defenses were good, but TCU made enough plays defensively to get the job done and I think, you know, the TCU defense isn't great, but they got, you know, they got a stud defense uh defensive back who won the Thorpe Award. He's They got an All-American defensive lineman that can cause havoc on the line of scrimmage. But I think it just, this TCU team that, you know, they don't seem that fearsome, that once when you get on the football field and actually play them, that they are a load to deal with. And you're seeing that Sonny Dykes and his game planning really outcoached, has outcoached a lot of his opponents this year. He outcoached Jim Harbaugh in this one. Sure, it was J.J. McCarthy throwing two pick sixes and them fumbling and making errors inside the five-yard line that ultimately affected this game. But TCU and the Horn TCU Horn Frogs just find a way to get it done no matter the circumstances, no matter the atmosphere. They don't care how many fans are there in, in the stadium. They're going to put on a show. Max Duggan, Quentin Johnston, Keandre Miller, Sonny Dykes running the show. This is just... This has been a one hell of a run that the Horn Frogs have been on, and they got every bit of a chance to beat the Georgia Bulldogs, who have been that number one team all year, saying who who's going to beat them. Well, a team like TCU that has got nothing to lose and that are, you know, just riding this magic carpet to victories every single week. How come they can't beat Georgia? And I'll tell you what, Georgia against Ohio State showed showed a lot in terms of their defense being vulnerable. So I think the national championship between Georgia and TCU is going to be 
a wild game. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think you're going to see TCU be able to neutralize this Georgia defense the same way Ohio State did on New Year's Eve as well. And I think it's going to ultimately come down to which quarterback plays better, Max Duggan or Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, you saw in that Ohio State matchup that, you know, he was so emotional. He couldn't believe that they won that game because I thought in the back of my mind, and you can just tell by his facial expression, he was hyped to score the touchdown with a minute left to take the lead for his Georgia Bulldogs. But deep down, I think he knew he scored a little too early and he wished he managed the clock better. And when Ohio State's kicker missed that field goal as as the calendar year was changing from 2022 to 2023, you just saw all the emotions from Stetson Bennett in that ball game saying, wow, we got really lucky and we got to play a hell of a lot better. And they are if they're going to want to beat TCU. And TCU, believe it or not, are two touchdown underdogs against the Georgia Bulldogs. They're going to win that game. And that might sound ridiculous, but TCU hasn't gotten respect all year. And this team has been awesome to watch because you know you're going to get something special week in and week out from the Horn Frogs. I think they're going to do it one final time on the way out here and pull off a massive upset, according to Vegas, in a high-scoring affair. And TCU is going to ride into the sunset as national champions. So it was a tough loss for Jim Harbaugh and his Michigan Wolverines as he, you know, since his... It was always about beating Ohio State in his early years as the head coach, but now it's really about can he get past the college football playoff semifinal. Seems like, you know, Harbaugh's got all the accolades in the world. He's He's been coaching everywhere in college. He was coached for the 49ers, as we all know. But you notice he, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that national championship. He doesn't have that Super Bowl in his resume, and he just needs to win that big game. It seems... You know, he's always had trouble with that in his coaching career. He just, the circle would be complete once when he gets that championship and he lifts that trophy, the big boy trophy, for good. I think he will get it eventually. Will it be with the Michigan Wolverines? I think it will be. I think, you know, Michigan is still with J.J. McCarthy. In year one with McCarthy, it was a good year with all the quarterback drama. Or it wasn't really drama, but... Between J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara, who led the Wolverines last year to the college football playoff, this is J.J. McCarthy's show, and I think he's going to show, I think he's going to learn a lot after year one, and for him, in his first year as a starter, to get to the college football playoff, I think you're going to see Michigan do a lot of big things with McCarthy in the next couple years at QB1, and I think Jim Harbaugh will eventually get there, but he will have to wait until 2023 to potentially win the national championship. So let's fast forward a day later to what happened with John Harbaugh and his Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers faced off in a low-scoring slugfest. And these games, you know, between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens, they say it's the best rivalry in the NFL, really is. I mean, every single time these two teams get together, you just it's going to be a low-scoring, a lot of physicality, a couple fights, rowdy fans, you know, it's what... It's one of the best rivalries in sports. And, you know, this was a tough one for John Harbaugh and the Baltimore Ravens to lose. They had a 10-point lead once again, and they just let it go. I mean, this has been in their in the Baltimore Ravens. This is kind of just, that's been, their, that's been their thing this year in their losses. 
when they lose, they've had a lead at some point by double digits and the wheels have fell off in the fourth quarter. And sure, yeah, they don't have Lamar Jackson to lead them the way. It was Tyler Huntley at QB1, and it has been for the past couple weeks, and they have been winning with him. But I think there was just a lot of missed opportunities in this one with the Ravens. They got out to an early lead. They kind of dominated for about three and a half quarters, and then Kenny Pickett and company come in and score a game-winning touchdown. But to me, it was in that fourth quarter with Baltimore when the, when the Ravens had a massive return by Justice Hill on special teams into Pittsburgh territory and then just went three and out, never did anything with it. That was an awesome time when it's a one-possession game. Just get a field goal out of it. Push it to push it to two possessions, and, and you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers all of a sudden got to go run their two-minute drill and pass every play. You know, it just puts so much pressure on the Pittsburgh Steelers if you just get some sort of points. And credit to the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense. This is a team now with T.J. Watt that has been, since he's came back from that torn pec injury, has just been a, a totally different team. The Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, with one year one of Kenny Pickett, you could, you know, we talked about Kenny Pickett and, you know, his progressions as a quarterback, even as a rookie, have just been astonishing. And that game-winning drive by Pickett was just, you know, it's absolutely wicked for a rookie quarterback. You know, you see rookie quarterbacks make mistakes, and that was the whole thing that about Pickett and why he was taken in the first round and why people thought coming out of the draft that he could really be a franchise quarterback because he played four years at Pitt, because he's 24 years old and he's been around, he's played a lot of football in his days, he's played a lot in these crazy atmospheres in the ACC. He's played at, he's played at Dead Valley in Clemson. And he's been in on the field when the when the crowds are when the crowds are yelling on the top of their lungs with the hundred and with a hundred plus decimals of noise. You know, when you're a four year when you're a four year college quarterback, you're just exposed to more. And you're seeing that is sure and it helps that he is drafted by Pittsburgh and he could learn from a very one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the NFL and Mike Tomlin. It's just amazing how Mike Tomlin does this year after year, yet he's still one game away. He could potentially sneak into the playoffs depending on what happens in Week 18. But if they win that Week 18 matchup, somehow, some way, the Pittsburgh Steelers could have a winning record. And out of all the years that Mike Tomlin has been coaching, he has never had a losing record. And he's been with the Pittsburgh Steelers for over two decades. He's never had a losing record. He needs a win against the Cleveland Browns in Week 18 to have that 9-8 and record and potentially get it sneak into the playoffs when nobody thought that was possible. So credit to the Pittsburgh Steelers and their coaching staff and for Kenny Pickett for that amazing game-winning drive to win it on the road in Baltimore. And as far as the Baltimore Ravens are concerned, I mean, yeah, sure, the Lamar Jackson, this thing's been an absolute distraction in terms of he if he's going to get his contract or not, his contract extension, that is, issue at the beginning of the year. But they've made some trades. Dudes have gotten healthier. And this defense has been the vocal point of this team since Lamar has been out. Now, the main thing is, can Lamar come back in the playoffs and resume where he left off? Can he play better? Can he get right with his wide receivers and continue to run this offense the way he did prior to his injury and take this Ravens team on a potential deep playoff run? It's going to be very interesting how that all pans out, but I think... Priority number one right now is Lamar getting healthy 
And after that, you need a this Baltimore Ravens team need, just needs to get it together in the fourth quarter and continue to put to keep the pedal on the metal, even despite them being a ten win football team right now. This is this is a team that probably not a lot of teams are fearing, especially since I think you're a tier. They are just a, ta- a tier down from a can- the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. So it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens with Baltimore. There's just I think there's just a bunch of unknowns with this team right now, this late in the season, and who knows what the future holds for this football team, not only for the rest of this season, but heading into next season with their with their star quarterback Lamar Jackson. So before we close out the episode and with the college football se- season and with the college football season coming to a close, let's talk about some of the under the radar programs in college football, some of the smaller tier schools that has some terrific seasons. Let's start out with the Tulane Green Wave in the American Athletic Conference. Last year, in 2021, they were 2-10. This year, they finished off the season 12-2, including a win over USC in the Cotton Bowl on New Year's Eve. 2-10 to 12-2 for the Tulane Green Wave. That turnaround in just one year, that is the best and biggest turnaround in college football history. So kudos to the Tulane Green Wave. They had themselves one heck of a season with Willie Fritz at head coach, Michael Pratt at quarterback, and a defense in the American Athletic Conference. That was just amazing. They had one of the top pass defenses in the country for quite some time. They had some crazy wins over UCF in the in overtime in which Michael Pratt got hurt, the second string got hurt, and the third string quarterback had to come in and win the game for them. So they had some chaotic yet big time wins for the Tulane football program. Let's transition into the Sun Belt Conference and talk about the Troy Trojans, Sun Belt champions over the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, 12 and 2 the Troy Trojans or 12, yeah, 12 and 2 the Troy Trojans went this season. How about Carlton Marshall, one of their best defensive players, not only in this year's Troy team, but in program history. Carlton Marshall with 564 career tackles at his four years at Troy. That is also a college football record for most career tackles by one player. And Troy, they went 12-2. and They won the conference championship. They won the Cure Bowl over the UTSA Roadrunners. Their two losses this year, on the road in SEC country at Ole Miss. That is a tough task for a Sun Belt school. And they lost on a Hail Mary at App State when College Game Day was hosting their show in Boone, North Carolina. So, tough loss for Troy there, but... Really bounced back really well, not even going finishing off the season on a 11-game winning streak. So shout out to the Troy Trojans for having a terrific season in the Sun Belt Conference. And finally, a team that I got to see firsthand live in person and really got to know more about the program, and that's the Eastern Michigan Eagles. Started off the season 4-3 and three in the MAC Conference, but finished it off quite well at 5-1, and one, even beat their rivals Central and Western Michigan, and won the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, of course, against my San Jose State Spartans. 
just Eastern Michigan, despite the mediocre season to start out, they really came back and bounced back well. They had some really good players on this program, potentially NFL stars. Their left guard, City Sal, was a high-decorated player. Jose Ramirez was the MAC Defensive Player of the Year this season. And Taylor Powell, who had some ups and downs in his season for Eastern Michigan, Really hung it together and played well. And how about Chris Creighton at head coach? I actually got to just see the energy and what this Eastern Michigan program means to him in person. And just the energy that they brought in that bowl game. Because Eastern Michigan has gone to a bowl game with this year including five straight years coming up short prior to this year. And four straight bowls. So they were destined and determined to win that bowl game in Boise, Idaho against San Jose State. And unfortunately for them, didn't appear in the conference championship game. But for a MAC conference every single year where you're not going to know what you're going to get from the conference as a whole as it's pretty much a crapshoot every single time conference play starts in the MAC, Eastern Michigan for the past four to five years under Chris Creighton have done a pretty good job at getting to a bowl game, appearing in a bowl game, bringing the energy in this past season, finally getting it done for Chris Creighton and the Eastern Michigan Eagles. All right, so that is going to do it for this episode of the Sports Sentiment. Thanks for everyone to tuning in after coming off a six-week break of the pod. Stay tuned for our next episode coming next week in which we will talk about and recap the college football national championship between the TCU Horned Frogs and the Georgia Bulldogs. And of course, with the NFL regular season coming to a close, we will talk about all the NFL playoff matchups during wildcard weekend, give our thoughts, give our preview, our opinion, and our picks on who we think will prevail and advance into the divisional round. So stay tuned for all of that in our next episode of the Sports Sentiment. Once again, I am your host, Nick Urias, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.